Hi. Welcome to PCI Cast, a conversation about life and faith in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. Let's hear what the team have been talking about this week. Hello and welcome to PCI Cast. It's good to be back after our Christmas break. How are you, Ben? UK? I am good, yes. Happy New Year, listeners. Um, it's the 7th of January when we're recording. Not sure when you're listening, but pleased to have you along with us. Just before we get underway, we have one piece of housekeeping. Uh, our book giveaway for off the last episode was a signed copy of Defending the Faith by our previous guest, Dr. Daryl Hart of Hillsdale College. Um, he very graciously signed a book for us that evening, and it is our great pleasure to announce that the winner of that book is Reverend Johnny Boyd of Hyde fix. Park and Lyle Hill Presbyterian Churches. It is absolutely not a fix. Richie himself, who is our guest this evening, whom we have not who introduced we haven't yet, even but we will introduced. in just a second. Uh, Richie was the one. Richie was the one who uh, who who picked Johnny out of the hat. Uh, so congratulations, twenty five, I believe. <laughs> yes. Uh, so we'll be giving a book away of some description. Uh, what are we giving away this week, Ben? We haven't actually talked about that yet. We'll maybe give away, I don't know, uh, well, a bin bag of old wrapping paper or something. No, well, tradition, traditionally, Craig, we do ask our, our guests for a book recommendation. So maybe oh, yeah. if, uh, if Richie uh, has a thought of which book to go for, we'll, we'll, we'll recommend that at the end. I do. Well, maybe we'll yeah, ask right. him one of the questions at some point, like, Richie, what are you reading at the minute? And uh, he'll 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 give us something. Listen, we've been talking about Richie an awful lot in the past few seconds, so let's actually introduce him. Please Our do. guest on this episode of PCI Cast is Reverend Richie Cronin, <laughs> the minister of Cork Presbyterian Church in the Presbytery of Dublin and Munster. Richie, good to be with you, brother. Hello, it's good to be here. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, I am looking forward to whatever crack we come up with. Brilliant. Uh, listen, really good to have you. Listen, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Richie Cronin? Um, who is Richie Cronin? Who yes. is Richie Cronin? A question I've asked myself a lot uh, since I was able to speak. I am uh, from from Cork originally, from a place called Dunamore. It's about maybe 25 kilometres outside of Cork City. Um, What's a kilometre? A kilometre is uh, six-tenths of a mile. Imperialistic. Thank you. Big. It's the future, man. It's the future. When you grew up in the south, would it have not been miles? It was, yes. Yes, but, I think but, so. We, I remember miles. We joined progress and the rest of the world, and we said we'd go with the kilometres. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I did change. When I was up in the north, actually, I, I, I started thinking of miles again. It took me, it took me a while to get back to it. But um, anyway, anyway. I, I'm from Cork. And uh, I grew up in a place called Dunamore, where is it, 20 miles or so, outside Cork City. And um, a list of five, I, I, I'm now married to Erica, who's from Boston. And we have four kids, the uh, two boys, two girls, Gabriella, Judah, Evangeline, and Lochteen. Cool. So that's the basics, you know. Brilliant. Uh, tell us about how you came uh, to faith. What what brought uh, that kid from 
from 20, 25 kilometers outside of Cork uh, to the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dunamore isn't exactly a hotbed of Presbyterianism. Um, nope. In fact, it's not a hotbed of, of any form of Protestantism. Um, actually, I'll tell you the story. So the, the local uh, chapel, as you call it, Catholic Church, um, they asked, when when the priest bring holds up the Eucharist, right, and the transubstantiation and all that kind of stuff happens, they in most Catholic churches they 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 ring the altar boy will ring the bell. I often did it myself. Yeah, mm-hmm. you've, been, you've been to mass, right? You, they ring the bell. It's a special moment. Blah blah blah. You've been to mass, Ben? Um, yes, I uh, grew up in the south and going to Christian Brothers, I had to uh, go to mass. Yes. There you go. There I think go. I've been to one mass ever. Oh really? But I don't remember a bell being rung. But okay. Well, okay. So, so at that point, when when they think that the 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 the, the bread has become the the substance of Christ's body and the wine becomes the substance of his blood, right? They ring a bell, and normally it's the the altar boy. But in my parish, because during the famine there was attempts, genuine attempts, by Protestant missionaries to convert Catholics, um. And at that time, what they did was they opened up a soup kitchen in the parish and they opened it up during when mass was going on, right? So the local priest would have the church bell rang to remind the guys below who had, were traitors, effectively, where they were missing the real food. And still to this day, that's the practice in the parish, right? So that's that, that's, the, that's the background where I grew up. No, in fairness... I that might paint it as if it's like some sort of raging fundamentalist Catholic place. It's not, you know. It's it's modern Ireland. They couldn't give a toss about the place, like or about Catholicism, you know. I, I was brought up Catholic, but and I would credit it with, with giving me a, a a theistic Christian foundation. Um, there was never a time where I didn't believe in God, and mostly that was due to my mother and the occasional priest or person I met that that struck me as like you know there's something else out there but um obviously I'm not there now at the moment am I um nope you would have had encounters I, I guess with some degree of Protestant uh theology in, in your teaching in the teaching you know in, in primary school and uh in the Carmelite College Mm. Was Luther ever mentioned? Probably, if I remember right. It's in my funny. Day. Yes, yes. Actually, that, so I do remember once actually in third year history for junior yeah. cert, doing a paragraph on Calvin and being distinctly put off by him. I was like, yep. predestination? He believed that people were going to hell even before they were born. That's sick. And that was the about the height of us. Um, a little maybe two inch paragraph <coughs> on, on the Reformation in my history book. Uh, but other than that, no, I didn't. I, what happened was I had a I had an uncle of mine who was a Pentecostal Christian, and he a couple of times witnessed to me over the years. And then um, a number of things happened. I I, I my, my parents broke up, and it was, it was pretty. I, t- I took it pretty bad, I guess. And I had a lot of brains, but I I started screwing up a lot in 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 school. And I started when I when I went to college, I started getting into party drugs, not really hard stuff, but hard enough stuff, and it really made me very paranoid, very um, socially awkward. Uh, um, the, I, I've actually come to learn since that there's a lot of studies about. I was smoking a lot of cannabis about how it can in, in, induce paranoia in people, and I was I was a kind of a classic case of that. So anyway, 
I uh, made a lot of bad, sinful decisions, I suppose, at that time in my life. I went to Holland, and when I was there, I I did more drugs in, in, in three months than I had done in, in a couple of years previous. And I was like, I just kind of fried my brain, you know. And I was thinking earlier about how many much details I should give you. I'll say this. So when I was there, a couple of things happened that really... Um, I'm ashamed of, and and then were were uh, I suppose uh, they left a mark on me. And I go home, right? I go home to Ireland, and I'm at a party, and I'm at this party, and I took some acid, LSD, right? Hallucinogenic drug it makes you mm-hmm. think strange things and feel good things, right? Except sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it makes you feel horrible stuff, and it makes you think horrible stuff, and. Long story short, you probably weren't me expecting to say this, but I, I decided I, I would say it anyway. What happened was somebody, it was just banter. Somebody started making fun of me, right? And they started making fun of me in like a way lads often do, saying, you know, oh, you, you, you know, you're gay, right? And I, it was like I was driving down the road on the motorway and I hit an invisible wall. It was just all of a sudden. I'm off my head on acid, and I have this this thought comes into my head that oh, this, maybe this is true. And not only is do I start thinking, oh, maybe this is true, but actually everyone around me is thinking this about me. And, you know, there's a lot I could say, but I went into this maybe two-year depression where I was obsessed with this question of my, my identity um, and my sexuality and I was in a, I was in a bad place. No, I'll say a couple of things about that. Eventually, I came out of that. And this is all I'll say about that is that, um, you know, the, the, in the study of sexology, they have this this thing called the Kinsey scale between zero and six. Have you ever come across mm-hmm. it? No. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Where I, I keep I never know which one it is. Either zero or six is like exclusively heterosexual, and six is I exclusively. Think six. I think six. six is exclusively. All right. Okay. There you go. So most of the studies would say that it, the the people are on on are on one or either of the extremes, but not quite, right? And my sense is that um, I I did I did have the, uh, the odd like homosexual thought, and I think that I just this just the bare minimum of existence of it in, in really at a time when I was really weak played havoc with me, and. You know, there was a time later on when I became a Christian where I would say, oh, you know, I was one of these lads who was, like, changed and, and all that kind of stuff. I was ex-gay, blah, blah, blah. But I wouldn't say that anymore. Um, I think that it was over off, and I, I, I'm not sure that it's accurate. I think what I've discovered is a lot of people just have to go through a period of questioning, and I went through it when I was off my head in acid. So it was good. But anyway, going back to that night, um, I... I was kind of freaked out of my, as you can imagine, and then uh, the best thing I can say is I, I, some, I saw something. I was in, I was in a room about five o'clock night morning, sorry, and it got very bright, and I thought the sun was coming up, and actually, it was this bubble of light appeared in the window alongside me. It came across and stopped in front of the wall in front of me, and when it stopped, it changed into the shape of a cross, and look. Like I was off my head in acid, right? So it, did it, did I actually see something? Uh, it felt to me qualitatively different to anything else that I'd experienced when I was on acid before, and I had been on it a good bit. But and at the same time as well, I was start thinking, you know, if this is true, 
you know, there's a good chance I'll I'll be alone all my life because I had enough Catholicism in me that I was like, I don't want to be gay. Yeah. But at the same time, I wanted to be with someone. And if I said, if this is true and I'm going to be alone, I'm going to be alone all my life. But as soon as I said that, about two seconds after I said it, I just, out of nowhere, I had this sense of, well, hold on, Jesus loves me. And I had this tremendous feeling of peace. And then this, this cross thing appeared. And it was wonderful, right? But uh, it faded away. And I went back to this questioning state for about two years. And I also say as well, I tell a lot of people that story, you know. and But that's not what converted me. What converted me was about two years after that, I went to uh, a, a, my uncle again, encouraged me to go to one of these evangelical churches. And I went to one in Dublin, but it's very charismatic, Pentecostal, and I thought, this is weird, man. It's like it's like a basement with, you know, chairs, school chairs laid out in a row. And I was like, this isn't the church, you know. And some fellow was talking about standing on the rock. And I didn't have a clue what he was on about. But I had enough desire in me to find something out about God. And I was all these questions about homosexuality as well I wanted to have an answer to. But... um. I I went back and the next week I was passing by a place called it turned out to be it's called the lighthouse and there was a sign in the window about hell ain't cool or something it's like oh they look like Christians and uh, I, I said I knocked the door you know but it was locked and I said okay I'll knock I'll try next door and see what they say about it and next door happened to be a Baptist church so I went in there and they just they loved me well they they struck me as people who were sincere. And I'd met Catholics who believed, but I'd never met an entire community that really believed. And they sought to follow God. And uh, and as, uh, a couple of things. So it, it wasn't justification by faith alone, through Christ alone, that initially attracted me. What attracted me was, it was like I'd been looking for people who actually believed this stuff all my life. And then I found them. I found them. And what I often say to people is, like, I'd read loads of stories about Jesus when I was young. I'd gone to Mass. I'd heard about him. My mother told me about him. But all of a sudden, I was like, oh, hold on. You know, this guy is actually, he's legit. He, the, the stories I heard about him are true. Yeah. And it was like, here's a, a group of people that similarly believe it. And I was like, okay, this is different. And after about three, year, three weeks with them, sorry, sorry, three months with them, Oh, yeah, I said, okay, yeah, I think this is for me. And then the other thing to say, sorry, because I, I insist on doing this. Like, that's my conversion story, right? Suddenly I'm in a Baptist church. Uh, I'm I'm lapping it up. I'm reading the Bible. But the first year, although I was exhilarating, I had loads of great experiences, loads of great friends. I also found it very hard. And I think now what I would say is that I was coming under the condemnation of the law because I was starting to read the Bible. And I was like, oh actually what God expects of people holy living is quite hard and like I remember one time going down to the the bus I, I lived in Finglas in Dublin at the time and I was going down to the bus it was maybe 100 yards and I said I'll be I'll be perfect until I get to the bus stop I'll try and just think perfect thoughts the whole way down and I couldn't do it I was like what how do I live this life like and then I met some Presbyterians um Americans actually as it happens no, in fairness, right, I just want to say this because in case you might be listening, my pastor at the time was a, a great, gracious, godly man. But for whatever reason, I just didn't pick it up. I didn't get grace. And 
these these Presbyterian folks they taught me about that my my sinful nature and my sins were far deeper than I'd ever realized and but mm-hmm. Christ Christ's love was far greater than I'd ever comprehend and at mm-hmm. that stage then like I started to to kind of relax and say okay you know I, I I have a way of following him here he he he's forgiven me you know uh, I he wants me to to, to, to try to try to be, to be good like but I'm never gonna be perfect but I'm gonna keep trying you know so so I, I was converted like and that was about 2001 or so but it took me a long while to even start to wrestle with grace. And the truth is, I think that you, you, we always will be wrestling with us. But yes, that's so how do you get then from uh, from new Presbyterian, if you'd even have used mm. that label for yourself at that point in Finglas in Dublin, to applying for ministry in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland? Like that's a you've already been on a on a crazy road anyway, but. It Would is, yeah. This part of it from from this point to applying for ministries equally is mental as well. Well, there, there's a huge leap. I mean, I'm sure Ben probably knows more, like growing up in Tipperary, but there is a there's no kind of conception of Presbyterianism within the the mind of your average guy in the Republic. It's just it's another world. Yeah. Like I'll I'll tell you a story. So my brother went to London. And when he was there, he went to Goldsmiths College, which is a very liberal college, politically liberal. And I don't know if he would say this or not, but this is certainly how I would interpret it. He, he became a conservative guy, right? And he actually joined the Tory party when he was over there. <laughs> and at the time that he did that, it was the time that I was applying to be a Presbyterian minister. And my family had no problem with me being a Presbyterian, but to have a Tory in the family, oh, no, that's okay. You can't, you can't have that, like, you know. So, but, it, like, so, so the, the, yeah, it's different, but there's, there's no there's, there's no association. The only association that I've ever come across the odd time is that people think that, that it was uh, it's Paisley's church. I haven't heard that in a while, in fairness. But that doesn't answer your question, sorry. Um, I was, we were going to that Baptist church for about six years, and I always wanted to... I just always wanted to share the gospel, to be honest with you. Like, I was straight out on the street with a microphone with a, a, group, a group after I was saved. I was one of those guys. And, uh, and I was always trying to understand the Bible. And then I got married to Eric. Uh, we were living on the south side of Dublin. Our, our, um, the, the, the church I was going to was, was just—it was just far away. So there was a guy up the road from me, Andrew Smith. I still rate him as one of the best preachers I've ever heard live. And he was starting this Saturday night thing, and uh, you just went there. It just seemed like a good fit. And then when I was with him, I think. What I realized after a couple of years was that all of the people that I liked in my life were Reformed or Calvinistic or Presbyterian. And I was like, you know, I think I could see myself with these lads. And I asked Andrew Smith about becoming a, you know, I want to do full-time ministry. And uh, he said, he kind of laid out the options for me. And I was like, well, the minister thing sounds, sounds more up my street. So I went for it. They actually turned me back the first time. The presbytery did, uh, and I waited two years, but um, eventually I got up there and went and had a huge adventure in Northern Ireland. So let's hear that Northern Irish accent there again. Northern Ireland, Craig, what do you want me to say about it? <laughs> I lived up there for six years and it's burned into my brain, so it is. 
So when did you come up, uh, Richard? Did you moved up with the whole family? Uh, yeah, when? Yeah, yeah. When did we come up? 2012. 2012. Just in time, just in time for the flag protest, and we live in uh, off of Templemore Avenue in uh, Langtree Court. And I, I, like you know, look, my, the only thing I'll say about Northern Ireland is, um, if it doesn't really get under your skin and you you do. Well, I'll be straight. I think you, you have to despise the situation every now and again. If that doesn't happen, something's wrong. But, um, and I also, I'll say this too, I also found it kind of small. Sometimes I felt like, you know, have these people ever go outside of this little box? But it, I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. it. I had a great time. Um, I had lots of crack. Uh I was bouncing off unionists every single day I was up there and it was uh, it was brilliant, you know. So, so 2012 started union, Eric is there. The kids come along yet? I had two before we came and then two up. Two technically British citizens are part of my family. There you go. A Tory and two Brits. Yeah, no, that's not how I'd say it, no. From the, from the rebel. I said. From the rebel county. Yeah. No, actually, none of none, none of my kids were born in Cork, but um, the the two older ones were born in Dublin. So, so, but, so yeah. union progresses. Where do you find yourself placed then? The, the yeah, old call comes. I, uh, I did, I did. I went actually went to Fitzroy uh, on my own or with myself and Erica for the first. Uh, I think it was two years. And then I got placement in winter placement in Castle Ray, uh, which uh, was great. Um, Mervyn looked after me well, and the lads up there looked after me. And then I did uh, the the um, the summer one in Alexandra up in the Shore Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was it was a, a good inter- introduction to the loyalist communities of, of Belfast. And uh, I had a great time. I've seen Richie in Tigers Bay. That would have been absolutely brilliant. Oh, yeah, I mean, well, I, I do have a couple of stories, but I can't, they're kind of too personalized, so I can't tell them. But um, I had a great time up there. Uh, <clears throat> went in, I deliberately wore my GA jersey a couple of times when I was there, but uh, they, 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 they loved it. In fact, I'll say this, right? Everywhere I went, I found that my presence would bring out the closet Republicans wherever I was. There's always <laughs> someone who come up to me after saying, I think should be united, you know, that kind of <laughs> It was brilliant. It was brilliant. But, uh, like, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty kind of, well, I suppose I, I do want to unite Ireland, unite Ireland, but I'm not I'm not that political. Um, I, I, uh, I, I never, I would never, I would never, uh, uh, talk to people in a, in a derogatory way for their political views and in fact I'll say this too actually I had a great I, I you, you just don't come across unionists in, in the south so it was good and it was humbling to to meet them and to know their story and uh, I don't know hear their pain I suppose uh, Richie hear the other side of the story growing up doing your junior cert and leaving certificate we would have had a, a particular view on on the Irish free state and uh, and all of that. That's too. right, free state. Yeah, yeah. I went visiting this lady once, uh, and she had a little bit of dementia, you know. And uh, oh, what was it? Oh yeah, yeah. I was going. It was Christmas Eve. I was going out the door, and she said, "Hmm, well, I've always found people from the free state very pleasant." <laughs> I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> Thanks very much. So there was a bit of that, but 
most of the time it was great crack. Last place, I was an assistant in Kirkpatrick for um, four years. Uh, well, that's what I was going to say. Where would, where would you have said maybe at the start of your Union College time and maybe then take us through to maybe the start and the end of your time in Kirkpatrick, where would you have said you were theologically then? What, what, would, you, what would you say you would have been thinking theologically at that point in time? Um, well, I, I, I actually, I wouldn't put any label on it because I, this is what I say to you, right? And this is what seminary is supposed to do and this is what the the assistantship is supposed to do. I was being tore up and changed and, and made to question everything. And there was a lot going on. So when I, I, I suppose before I come to, to Northern Ireland, I said, oh, I'm an evangelical uh, born-again Christian or a Christian, something like that, right? And I would definitely have said, okay, all right, I'm, I'm kind of reformed. I always believed in the sovereignty of God over everything, including salvation. And um, certainly those first Presbyterians I met, they really hammered into me the doctrine of adoption, that you are, you are a son of the king, you're a child of God. Mm-hmm. And so, so, so that sense, you know, people say, oh, the Calvinist-Arminian thing is such an arcane debate over predestination, blah, blah, blah. But for me, it was very practical because it was like if I could lose my salvation, I probably would, you know. I want to be assured that I'm saved and I I was I, I just couldn't do this business of you could possibly lose your salvation right so I always had that but then I come up to Northern Ireland and at that time I'm starting to question okay what does it mean to be an evangelical and I actually used to do this thing where I would go to the Irish Times and the Irish Examiner and I would put in the word evangelical into their in-house uh, search box right to see what, what what's Irish people saying about evangelicals and here's the thing this is true I don't know if it's still true now because I haven't done this in a couple of years but if you put, do that nine times out of ten the word has got no religious connotation whatsoever it's actually someone who's really passionate about something that wants you to mm. be passionate about it as well right mm. and, and at the time I kind of thought that was you know it was a good thing but I was like that's kind of weird you know anybody could be evangelical and increasingly that's what I started to see. Like, I even know <clears throat> there's an organization in the Republic called Evangelical Catholics. I actually know the the, the, the guy who who runs it. He's a good guy, right? But I just, I kind of feel like if you can attach that label to something that is as opposed to, or different, shall we say, classical Protestantism, then there's something wrong with the label. And increasingly, that's what I saw. And actually, your, your <coughs> guest there, what is it, last week, DJ Hart, right? DJ Hart. So um, he wrote a book called Deconstructing Evangelicalism a couple of years ago, and I read it. And like the basic thesis is that like evangelicalism as a label is is was a created by people coming out of the fundamentalist fundamentalist modernist debate in the states because they didn't like the fact that they were either being put into one or the other, and they wanted kind of a social cachet with which they could speak to people still. And it was used by pollsters, right? No. He, ironically enough, my wife's grandfather was one of the names that he name checks in that. So I knew that whole scene, but, and I didn't go along with his, the kind of, I suppose, the undercurrent of, of, I would say, disdain for that church in the States, because I knew them and they were good people. But his argument nonetheless stuck with me. I was like, 
there's a difference between a Baptist and a Pentecostal and a Presbyterian and someone who thinks that it's okay to have an abortion or someone who thinks it's uh, the same-sex marriage is irrelevant to, to Christian ethics and piety. You, and yet all these people can be lumped in under under that label. So I was like, okay, that's a problem for me, right? What, well, so what am I? Then I come to, 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 to Union and a couple of things are happening. One is there's I'm in this place where there's two communities and they've they've spent 30, 40 years killing each other. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but you know what I mean? And there's this huge question of what role does the church have in society, right? Yeah. And I'm getting from all angles people saying that the, the church should have absolutely nothing to do with it, that that's a waste of time, it's a... It's an overrealized eschatology, and then I'm I'm getting all these examples of people who say that the church did great things in society, and in, in fact they were one of the better uh, agents, shall we say, within the time of the troubles. Blah blah blah. Right? I'm thinking a little about about this question, and specifically, what should the church corporate be doing in society, and should should they at all be doing it? Not just like the individual Christian, but should the church as a corporate entity be, be doing anything in society? Yeah. And the more I thought about that question, um, the, 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 there's kind of four answers, I think. There's like the liberals that would say that you take the best of scholarship and you use that to direct your theology and then you try to basically make the world a better place. And I was like, well, I can't be a liberal. I don't want to be a liberal. I don't go along with what they're saying. Then there was uh, the crowd that I definitely would have agreed with, um, uh, Anabaptists or, or, or pacifists who are saying that you know the, the church is this community that, that kind of showcases an alternative way of living to the rest of the world, and political action in that 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 remit is quite important because you're trying to you're not trying to change the world, you're trying to show the world how to live and make the world more worldly. I used to read a lot of a guy called Stanley Horowitz. I don't know if you've heard of him. Yes. He's he's a big um, a pacifist, and there's also another fella who uh, he wouldn't appreciate if I told said his name, but he, he, he was an Irish guy who wrote a blog and he was very influential in me and he was also a pacifist. But I just started to say, actually, that was very appealing to me for a while, but I just, in the end, I was like, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. And then you're left with two other questions, two other options. One is that the church effectively should be taking the kind of narrative of the Bible of, of creation, fall, um, exile and redemption into all of our actions in the world. And so, you should, so there should be a distinctively Christian way of being a, a plumber, distinctively Christian way of being a footballer or, or whatever, right? And we, we try to bring change into the world. And I, and I, and I just I couldn't buy that. I did not see that mandated in, in Scripture. And the last one then is this idea of the spirituality of the church, that first and foremost, Christians, um, of course, they're going to be people who will bring change. They might bring change, um, but they they have to just, uh, first and foremost, follow God's moral law. And the church itself is a place where we, we preach and teach the gospel, we administer the sacraments, and we, we exercise discipline. And if there's going to be a, a corporate action, well, individual Christians are free to organize as they so wish, but the, I think the church corporate shouldn't be involved in that. That's where I landed, right? And so to cut a long story short, 
I started to see all of this stuff that I was that I was thinking in the confession of faith. The spirituality of the church is taught in 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 the confession of faith. The 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 it, it tells us to be Presbyterian, not just this broad kind of a <coughs> anti-doctrine uh, or doctrinal doctrinally minimalist uh, group. It tells us to be to be Presbyterian, and and more and more and more. The more I read about it, the more I was like, okay. I think first and foremost, if people are going to ask me what I am, I'm going to, from here on out, I'm going to be saying I'm a Presbyterian. Now you can say I'm reformed if you want to say it, but I, I was that was the the label that I was happy with, and it, and it started to work for me. And it had it had a lot of implications for how you understand the 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 kind of uh, the, what what you teach your congregants. They should be doing Monday to Saturday and on Sunday. Because if the role is first and foremost to change society, or if the role is to to affect great change in society, that has a, a big impact on what you teach them and what you say to them that what they should be doing, right? And all the other options that they're talking about, I just I, I couldn't agree with them. I didn't see them in scripture, and I, what I saw the confession of faith teaching was something slightly different, very different actually. Like like again, just to under underline it, if if a Christian is following God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, um, however they're broken down, I, I suspect they will be great changers of society. You know, I met many people in my time in the North who were, you know, you know others would call them peacemakers, right? And they were. They were, they were folks who who their their present, their action, their their neighborliness, their their obedience to God uh, was salt and light wherever they were, and and I, I appreciate them for us. Does that answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so long. <laughs> this is this is happening. Um, I, I'm trying to I guess earth it for our listeners. This is happening while you're in uh, Kirkpatrick Memorial. Then you head to, uh, well, you you you. you, you you try to seek God's will and get in a call, uh, and you're preparing yourself for for where that's yeah. going to be. Yeah. Uh, when does that happen? Uh, 2018. 2018. Yeah. So I was eligible. 2000. Uh, you're in the same class as me. When were we eligible, Craig? Uh, we were eligible September 2017. Yeah, September 2017. So sometime in my last couple of years in Kirkpatrick, I came across the minister in Cork, and. I, he told me that he was retiring in 2017. I was like, oh, all right, okay. And I was like, I'll be eligible when he's free, you know, or when he's retired. And in my, I, I, for you tell me, no, a lot of people kind of reacted negatively when I said this, right? But I said, I'm not going to go for anywhere else. I'm going to try for Cork first. And it was almost like uh, people were like, oh, you got to be open to the call anywhere. And, and that's true, too. But I wanted to go to Cork. So I waited until your man um, was retired and until uh, they got leave to call. And I interviewed and uh, and I got um, a call back a couple of days later or sometime later. And they said, yes, you're the man. And I was like, yeah, bye bye. And uh, <laughs> I went down there in June, June of 2018. Brilliant. So maybe just as we're wrapping up here, tell us what it means to be a Presbyterian who believes what you believe in mm. Cork. Mm. What does that What's that look like? 
what is what does it look like to be a Presbyterian in Cork? Well, it, <coughs> particularly, I mean, building on that, like you've you've come to share with your fellow country men, yeah. I guess. Oh yeah, Christ, look, I, I, and, I, but but also a prophet's without honour in his hometown. So how's that working yeah. out? He's from twenty five kilometers outside of Cork, so <laughs> technically forget the kilometers. Yeah. I, well, okay. Here's an interesting thing about Cork, right? We we are like the Texas of of Ireland. <laughs> if 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 there was a big trench dug around the border of Cork and all of the other 31 counties floated off, including the six up here, we'd still be happy. We have an intense like for ourselves, right? And like Ben will know this because he's Tipperary is right alongside us, you know, and uh, um, we, 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 we're just quite self-satisfied, but we're also quite proud about Cork people. And honestly, the fact that I am the first... In the PCI, I think there was a guy in the Synod of Ulster in the 1700s, but in the PCI, I'm the first Cork man who's also in the Cork pulpit. They, they lap that up. It's like, um, and I, you know, I don't know, maybe the same would happen in other counties in the South, I'm not quite sure. But like when I when I was ordained, they did a write-up of me in the, in the local paper, and you could, all the references within it, the way that was described, told me that they were quite happy that... Here's a Cork man coming back to, to Cork to do something in Cork for the first time, you know, Cork, Cork, Cork. So the the idea of like a, a prophet having no honor in his hometown. Sometimes I come across that in when I meet folks from my original parish, you know, like they, they have an image of me and, and I have an image of myself in their eyes, you know, sometimes it's hard to break over that. So there's that. But but I I have no other passion in life other than spreading uh, the reform faith in, in, in Cork I mean I, I I live and cry over it so I think I'm meant to be here you know you know, <laughs> I want to be here um, but to answer your other question I don't know I don't know if it's any different anywhere else like Presbyterianism the gospel is is really far removed from a lot of people today right you're you're working with folks who what we're starting to see here now is children who will grow through all of, of primary and secondary school without any any knowledge of even who the four gospels are so it's really a post-christian society um so yeah it, I, I i don't know if it's any different anywhere else but it's got the usual challenges that um that uh we we, we we have anywhere else. Does that answer your question? It doesn't answer your it does. question. No, that's fine. <clears throat> like there's lot you know, people are out in, in most of your listeners are <clears throat> right? People are always interested in both. Oh, it's a post Catholic country knows there are more opportunities for the gospel. Yeah, are more people more likely to be a Protestant. Um yes and no. Uh, they're more likely to be anything at all. So the, the the old sense of like oh I wouldn't cross the door of a Protestant church because uh, it was Catholic and and the the magisterium teaches against it that's gone right I get a lot of older generation people who come into uh, particularly the city church I'm the minister of two churches in uh, Cork and in the Hadda and the city church we get older folk who come in and they're like I've been passing this place for forty years and I never thought I'd come in here but I'll come in here today you know and they're 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 like it, they recognise it's a new, it's a new administration. Everything's different these days, so it's all up for grabs. But it's harder too, man, because people are more apathetic. Or we 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 get them to come in and 
you talk to them and they'll say that's brilliant never see them again you know that kind of stuff yeah um, i find i find what 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 you have to do is irish folk they need to be kind of converted a couple of times they need to be converted to the idea you can come into church they need to be converted to the fact that these people are all right they need to be converted to the fact that you can have a crack with these people and then they need to be converted to jesus and then they need to be converted to well, I actually have, this is going to change my life and I might have to stop doing some things. And then you can start talking to them about predestination, the sovereignty of God, the moral law and all that good stuff, you know? So it's like uh, it's like stages and every stage you have to be personable and likable and blah, blah, blah. You know yeah. Richie, if you would recommend <coughs> one book that someone should want to read about maybe the... <laughs> Maybe that your own personal theological kind of well, journey. What what book would you say maybe influenced your thinking more than any others? Um, I could give you a couple, and I'll give you one that's probably more um, that's that's better. I don't know if you already uh, recommended this. There's a book called Confess in the Face. Did you talk about that already? No. Uh, is that Chad Van Dixon's? All right, so this book is actually it looks like a weighty tome, but it, and your man is a is a proper scholar, but it's it's very accessible, yeah. and it's a it's like it's like it's a it's a it's a commentary on the Westminster Confession of Faith, but honestly, it's I've bought like a heap of them and I've given them away because, um, it's it's a great book. So I, that's the one I would say. Wrote a study guide as a companion <coughs> to that, didn't she? If I'm if I'm not. I didn't know it was the wife, but um, there, I, there is a I study. The, the Van Dixorn name kind of gives it away. Yes, I greatly suspect it is. Or a sister, or mother, or aunt. You never know. Could be, could be. Um, so I would so we'll say, give that away. Give that away. If you, a couple of other books. Uh, DJ Hask, Deconstructing Evangelicalism, is probably a, a book that I'd like to see people have a conversation with on Ireland, in Ireland. Um, and then here's a random one for you. There's a book called uh, People of the Lie by a guy called M. Scott Peck, which kind of blew my mind many years ago. It's about um, evil people. So there you go. Okay. Richie, yeah. thank you uh, so much. You've You're welcome. You've been honest. You've been frank, bubbling over with zeal for the, the labor. You continue to fight the good fight down there in County Cork as you've taken over from uh, Reverend Farris. Uh, we yeah. wish you got oh, blessing. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, You've taken us on, a, on a, a very a very revealing trip from LSD trips to uh, through evangelism into reformed yeah. spirituality of the of the church as per confession. And we, we thank you for that. Uh, it is all of the grace of God that he, here we are. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Can we tell folk... Um, if you've been listening and you enjoyed what you've heard, do like our podcast. Uh, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or your, your podcast provider of choice. Um, like the shows and retweet uh, the show's uh, tweet uh, to win uh, a copy of Confessing the Faith by uh, Chad Van Dixenhorn. And uh, remains for us to uh, sign off and, and uh, wish you uh, a good night. It's what time is it? 20 past 10 here when we're finishing. And what time is it in Cork, Richie? Yeah, County Cork. What time is it down there? That's advice. <laughs> a couple of things, lads. You need to get used to this new administration that's coming your way, right? <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, it's going to be a lot so- more harmonizing in the years to come. You certainly avoided <laughs> Brexit the whole talk. <laughs> what? Well, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'll on say, that, I'll say, I'll, 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 last thing to say is just to all your, 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 your lovely listeners out there who are worried about the future, I am... Um, Two things. I have a daughter who's fluent in Irish. If any of you are looking for uh, tips or our, our classes and you're worried how we're going to get through in this new uh, dispensation that's coming away, I'll gladly help you out. No? <laughs> oh, we no? have plenty of no? uh, Protestants uh, up here who speak, uh, speak <laughs> that's the right, Yes, Taurus, <laughs> Lord Newton Ards Road, great place. All right, lads, I got to go too. I'll, I'll, uh, I'll see you soon. Richie, good to see you up to you. And thanks for listening, everyone. See you next time. Thanks for listening to PCI Cast. Join us again next time for another conversation about life and faith in the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter using at PCI Cast. See you next time. Why do you, why do you have to say hello and welcome to PCI Cast? No, we actually you know, say that. He's never listened to the podcast. I, I have listened to all of them, except I didn't listen to the last half of the one about Sam's. <laughs> sorry, sorry, well, Jamie. Okay, so will we, we reconvene at half nine. Is that all right? Well, yeah, that's fine. fine. I can I'll, uh, I'm Hold on. Is this, have you done this before? Because it feels like we're all talking over each other. And, no? Have we ever done a podcast before, you mean? No. We're professionals, mate. A Skype uh, uh, recording like this thing. No, we haven't done that this, before. This is the first. Okay. Yes. Yes. Right.